pray with me? Lord, we uh, thank you for protecting us this evening, and I pray, God, that the, you will continue to and protect our area and our families and friends. And God, I pray it, this evening as we continue that we will have a sweet and fun time together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We bypassed a song and the offering. If you've got that million-dollar check ready, Clayton will get it. We can get it from you. Do you need a sheet? A sheet. The answers from last week are here. Clayton Jean needs one over here. At first, we thought these are the purely dedicated people here tonight. Then we realized you were trapped and you couldn't get away. But we're glad you're here. Glad that you are here. And we're going to proceed as normal. Dickie, we'll get that from you after church. Baptists are good at getting offerings, I promise you. Okay, we are going to conclude tonight our talking and looking at the end of times, and I think there's some neat stuff in here tonight that I hope you find interesting and helpful, and maybe some explanations of some things maybe you have heard as you try to figure out where you are and what you believe about how things are going to unfold. Our first sentence here, the last days... The last days refers to the time between Christ's first coming, his death and resurrection, until the second coming. That is confusing because there are last day ministries out there. People talk about we're in the last days. What they're either failing to understand or they're, I don't know, but, but Paul said we were in the last days 2,000 years ago. So, and you could read that and you go, well, that proves the Bible is not accurate because he said we were in the last days. No, the last days is a time period. It's not a specific clock. Remember, 2 Peter 3, I think it's 3, 8, we don't have that for you, but it says a day and a thousand years are the same to God. So, God's not on the same clock that we're on. He's on a, on a different clock. We're in the last days. We've been in the last days now for 2,000 years. Some major views, some major views. Clayton, we had somebody come in, if you might grab a sheet for him, if you don't mind. Some major views on how things are going to unfold at the end of times uh, is what we're going to look at this evening. Just a quick review. Millennium is an ice cream made by Bluebell. <laughs> but... But the word comes from two Latin words, mila, which means thousand, and the word anas, which means year. Thus, a millennium is a thousand-year period. The term is also used theologically to speak of a literal or, and this is important, symbolic thousand-year reign of Christ. It says Chris. Did y'all know say Chris? Did y'all say that? It's supposed to be Christ. I, that is a typo. <laughs> That's kind of humiliating. <laughs> Lord, please don't punish me. Brittany, type these. Okay. That's leadership, isn't it? Throw her under the bus. 
I looked over these things three times and didn't see that. So that's completely on me. But it is Jesus' reign, not mine. Tribulation. Tribulation means, it literally the definition means distress or suffering resulting from oppression or persecution. It's a trying experience. How many of you ever feel like you've gone through some tribulation in your life? Okay. You have. Everybody that's got a little gray hair or a little shiny head from not having hair has been through some tribulation, haven't we? We have. It's also in the book of Revelation, it's often referred to as a literal seven-year period of great distress. How many of you have heard of the great tribulation of of the the New Testament? Uh, In this view, and this is important, many would see Revelation chapters 4 through 19 as the time of tribulation. Many would see Revelation, chapters 4 through 19, as the time of tribulation. Revelation has 22 chapters. I said this a week or two ago. Chapters 1 through 3 are pretty easy to understand. Chapters 21 and 22 are clearer. Really, chapters 4 through 20 are pretty hard to understand at times. So here are, there, there is three fundamental views of, of, and I say this, there may be a thousand, but prominent theological views on the end of times. And the first is called premillennialism. How many of you have heard the term pre, premillennial? You've been around church, you've heard it. Uh, premillennialism basically fundamentally means Christ will return before a literal thousand-year millennial. Before a thousand-year, he will return and there will be a literal thousand-year reign here on earth. If you're taking notes, there is a little error. It should be Revelation 20, verse 4, not verse 5 there. Jamie, I hope I got that right for you. I do. Then I saw the thrones, and seated on them were those to whom authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, for a millennium. So there is a fundamental biblical basis right there for it. Now, here's what's interesting. You may or may not know, but premillennialism has three, divi- three different views of it. Three different views of it. Premillennialism is a view, but it has three subviews. The first is one you're going to be pretty familiar with. It's called pre-tribulation premillennialism. Now, the pre is important. Pre means what? means before. Pre-tribulation Premillennialism is very popular, has been in recent years. This view states that a secret rapture of Christians will take place before a literal seven-year tribulation. And that may be the Lord coming right there. Be a trumpet, not a thunder, though, right? At the end of the seven-year tribulation, Christ will come to reign on earth for a thousand years the millennium, and then the final end of things. This view uses Revelation 4.1 as a key verse. Let's look at Revelation 4.1. This is John. 
John says, after this, I looked up and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. People who are, a lot of people who are pre-tribulation, pre-millennial say this is the rapture. How many of you have heard that before? In the King James, it says, come up hither. You've heard that, haven't you? And that's, that's what it says. If you're pre-trib, pre-millennial, that's wonderful. Whatever your view is, I'll tell you in a moment, the only thing that ultimately matters. My problem with this is this sure looks singular to me, doesn't it? I looked up, a door was open. The first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you. You see how many singular pronouns are used there? So I struggle with this being a a rapture here. If you disagree, you know what? That's great. That's great. We're going to agree that Jesus is Lord. Amen. We're not going to ever fight over this here at First Baptist. But this is the pre-tribulation, pre-millennial. This has been a popular view in recent years. Two things have really, probably in the last 120 years, pushed this view forward. The Schofield Bible. How many of you have a Schofield Bible? Okay. I have one or two Schofield Bibles. Schofield Bible was the first study Bible ever. Did you know that? And so for years, if you got a study Bible, what did you get, Frank? That's because it was the only option. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you're the only option, you've got to mark it. Amen? So, so uh, the Schofield Study Bible pushed the pre-trib, pre-millennial. Also, a novel series called what? Left Behind. Uh, was based on pre-tribulation, pre-millennial. Here's a second view you may or may not have heard of, mid-tribulation, pre-millennialism. The idea of mid-anything would mean what, Frank? In the middle. How many of you have ever heard of mid-tribulation, pre-millennialism? Andy, this is your view, isn't it, Andy? Do you kind of hold to this, the mid-trib? Isn't it funny? The older we get, the the less sure we are about these things. (laughs) This view states that a secret rapture will happen midway through the seven-year tribulation. Then at the end of the seven-year tribulation, Christ will return to earth for a literal thousand-year reign. So this says that tribulation happens before the millennial, so it's premillennial, but it's mid-tribulation. If you're taking notes, you, you can write these in. Revelation 14, verse 14 and 15. We're going to have these on the screens. This is a pretty good verses here where people would buy into this belief. Then I saw a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. Now, doesn't this sound kind of like the second coming? He had a gold crown on his head. Who is this? And a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, swing the sickle for the time of harvest has come. The crop on earth is ripe. Now, if you were to read, uh, I believe it's in Matthew, where's the wheat and the tares, Clayton? Is it in 21? 21 or 25. But it talks about at the end of the times, the angels are going to come and going to harvest the earth. 
they're going to separate the harvest at that point. Revelation 16, 15 also, if you write this in, Revelation 16, 15, look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Now, who comes as a thief in the night? Jesus does. Blessed are all who are watching for me and keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. So people who hold to the mid-trib, these are some verses they, they hold on to, which makes sense. These are, these are good verses. Then there's post-tribulation premillennialism. Post would mean what? At the end. So you Christians would go through the seven-year tribulation. This view states Christians go through a literal seven-year tribulation. Then at the end of the tribulation, Christ comes back to earth for a thousand-year reign. Thus, Christ returns at the end of the tribulation, post-tribulation, and before a literal millennial period. Thus, it's pre-millennialism. This was a very popular view for many centuries. Some scholars say that when they look back to getting close to the first century, this is a view they feel like some of the, 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 the first Christians held it to this. So this is, does anybody know that there's another name for this? Does anybody know this other name besides me? I'm, I'm sure several of you do. It's also called historic premillennialism. Historic would mean because it, it has a long what? History. Thank you, Joe. Historic, thus history. Historic premillennialism. Okay, that's your premillennial views. Let me give you the other two major views. Postmillennialism. Post, like you would spell it. How many of you have ever heard of postmillennialism? How many of you know anyone who's postmillennial? You probably do not. This view states the world will get better and better until it literally is a heaven on earth. Aren't we moving that direction? Christ returns at the end of the thousand years of this heaven on earth. It was, listen, this was actually very popular at the beginning of the 20th century, the 1900s. My notes are messed up again for my fault, it should say World War One and World War Two pretty much doomed this view. <laughs> Wouldn't that make sense? If you're getting a tornado warning, please let us know. Y'all crawl under this with me. Okay. Wouldn't it be nice if postmillennialism was correct? Wouldn't that be good? That the world's just going to get better and better and better and better and better and Jesus is going to ease in and be heaven on earth. World War I and World War II kind of caused theologians. And, and you know what's interesting? Some very conservative Christian leaders were post-millennial at one time. Because we look at that, I look at that and go, that's kind of silly. But, but, it, but it wasn't. Here's a third major view, and that's all millennialism. All millennialism. All millennialism, this view says that the idea of tribulation and suffering for Christians, suffering for Christ, has been going on since the first century and will continue until Christ returns. Have any of you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? Fox is spelled F-O-X-E. Have you ever read that? You need to read that book sometime. It is uh, when people went through for Jesus. The, the thousand-year millennial reign is symbolic. 
not literal, or it is taking place in reality right now. Christ does reign. Jesus will return unexpectedly at some point. The final judgment will happen, and the final order of things will be set in place. To make this simple, all millennialism believes that this very evening, Jesus could come back to earth, take his believers with him, and that's it. The great white throne of judgment will happen, heaven for eternity, hell for eternity, the new world order is set up, and it's done. Does that make sense? Okay, I lean towards all millennialism, and here's why. I believe when you take the whole New Testament into consideration, this is the best view. This is my opinion. Notice I wrote that there. This is, that's my opinion. So it's not like you're wrong if you disagree. I think when you look at the whole New Testament, which a lot of times people do not do when they're studying the end of times, I think it's the best view. Now, the, the, the next to me would be the post-tribulation premillennial. That's the historic premillennialism. It's very close to all millennialism, except this, this view accepts the thousand-year reign is not being symbolic but literal. So the only difference really with all millennialism and historic or post-tribulation premillennialism is that there, the thousand-year reign will take place literally instead of it being a symbolic. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about this. One of the problems with interpreting Revelation is figuring out what's symbolic and what's literal, right? And Because a lot of it was, is, it's apocalyptic literature. It's supposed to be symbolic. And so I don't think you're wrong at all if you have a different view. In many ways, I stayed here, I like the pre-tribulation, pre-millennial, because Christians are raptured out of the world, they miss the tribulation. That'd be great, wouldn't it? It's not good for those left behind. Now, this last statement here I think is important. You, neither you nor I are a heretic, a, a false teacher or believer, if we have a different view on this. The main Orthodox Christian must agree that Jesus Christ is literally coming to earth again. Hence the second coming. Does that make sense? All right, let's say, let's say Frank is a pre-trib, pre-millennial, and Reggie is a, Reggie's still holding to post-millennialism, praying that it's going to get better and better in the by and by. And I'm an all-millennialism, and Kay is a historic pre-millennialism. What does it matter? I see some church, I see some church statement of faiths and and it's nothing wrong with putting specifically what you believe, but they're like, if you don't believe this, you don't belong here. I, I've seen churches when they advertise for ministers, that's one of the things. If you're not X, X, and X, you're not, you can't teach, you're not accepted. I think what the, the, there's enough confusion here that we all may be a little bit wrong, amen? And so the, the, the vital thing is that you believe and I believe that Jesus is literally coming again. My dad was a college, worked in college and Christian colleges for years, and he was at Union University where Clayton and I went for 19 years. Before he went there, Union's a Baptist college, and they had a, they had a trustees meeting, and they had some, some really heavy hitters. Uh, Dr. R.G. Lee, do y'all remember who that name? He, he preached the famous sermon, Payday Someday, and 
And, and two or three of the other prominent preachers, they sent them out and said, we want you to come back and tell us what our college's view will be. Is it going to be pre-millennial, post-millennial, all-millennial? What's it going to be? A couple hours later, they came back, and they could tell all the preachers were mad. And they said, what's wrong? They said, we couldn't agree. So the school's view was Jesus is coming back. Amen? Here's the, on the top of the page four, this is not sophisticated, but here's the best view, panmillennialism. You ever heard of that? Panmillennialism says if you're right with Jesus, it will all pan out in the end. Correct? I can't wait till I get to heaven because I've got some friends that are in heaven today who were very strong on different views on this. I just can't wait to tell them that I was right and they were wrong. That's going to be important in heaven, isn't it? <laughs> okay, here's the bottom lines. Here's the, here's the, here's the really takeaway. Are you, are you saved? Are you ready to meet Jesus tonight? If the trumpet sounded and the end happened tonight, are you going to heaven? That's the bottom line, isn't it? Man, I love 2 Peter 3, 9. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord isn't really slow about his promise. This is the promise of the second coming. As some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. You know, it's mind-boggling to think that the second coming has been delayed so more people can be saved. So I would ask you, don't fret over your your views and theories. Do you know Christ personally? Here's the second thing. You can die. Hebrews 9.27 says man is destined to die once and after that the judgment hebrews 9 27 destined to die once after that the judgment i used to hear preacher boys arguing on the different views and this happening and this happening and this happening and and you know but what i've always remembered the older you get the more this comes to mind you can die you can die before jesus comes back so you need to be ready right you need, you need to be ready. Are you ready? That's, that's the theme of the New Testament. Are you ready to meet Christ tonight? And you say, well, I, you know, preacher's been saying that my whole life and I hadn't met him tonight. You will at some point. That night will come, won't it, for all of us. So are, are you ready? Here's another thing. Are you living well as a Christian? Are, are you ready to answer to God tonight for how you've lived for him and served him? Wow. The trumpet sounds, your heart stops. Are you ready tonight to stand before God as a Christian? 2 Corinthians 5.10, I believe it applies to everybody, but, but more, it's written contextually to Christians. For we must all, read that aloud with me. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. If Jesus comes back tonight, or you and I leave this earth tonight, you're a Christian. Man, that's the number one thing. Your name's written in the book of life. But God's going to, man, God's going to question us. Hold us. I don't understand how you can get to heaven and be spanked, but that's what the Bible says. And I think, I think for so many of us, we, and so many churches, we have been so frivolous 
And we have fought and argued and played. You know, I heard a preacher say one time, Nero fiddled while Rome burned and Christians and churches are fiddling around while people are dying and going to hell. And that's the truth. And we will answer to God. So are you ready for that? Here's the next question. Will you and I spend the rest of our life really living for Christ so the judgment will go well? In 2 Peter 3, verse 10 through 14, he says, The day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements himself will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. See, he's saying with how we should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heaven and new earth. Say amen. As promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. In other words, what God's saying, he's just reminding us he's going to come back. You're going to die. We're going to answer for how we live. Man, live for Christ with all your heart. Live for Christ well. Here's the last thing. You and I have a lot of friends and family who are not ready to face God. If Jesus came back tonight or if they died, they would spend eternity in hell separated from God. Let me ask you a quick question. Do you believe what the Bible says about hell? I do too. I I remember hearing when I was a young Christian, uh, these preachers were talking and one of them said, oh, I wish Jesus would come back today. I wish Jesus would come back today. And in my heart, you know what I said? I don't want him to. Because I got too many people I know who aren't ready to meet Jesus. Will you and I spend the rest of our lives trying to help as many people as we can come to faith in Christ? 2 Corinthians 5.20, this is to you, Christian. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are his representatives. As if God is making the appeal through us, we beg you, listen to the verbiage there, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When was the last time you pleaded with somebody to get saved? I don't want to be pushy. I'm not talking about being pushy. I'm talking about when was the last time you've looked at somebody and said, "I I am pleading with you. Give your life to Christ while you have a chance. 2 Peter 3.10. The day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief. The heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in the fire, and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. I want to read verse 9 and then verse 15 as we close. The Lord isn't slow about his promise, as some people think. He's being patient with your family members and your friends and my family members and friends. And that person that lives in Ruston that nobody's invited to church or nobody's reached out to, he's being patient. He doesn't want them to go to hell. He wants everyone to be saved. And in verse 15, it culminates. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. 
This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. See, all this is, is interesting to me, and it's, it's, it's fun, and it's good to know. You need to know some of these things. But the bottom line is, is that the second coming and the judgment and all that is just not theory for preachers to debate. It's reality that's coming. So we're going to, I'm going to have Frank get up here in just a second, and we're going to have a, uh, Frank, I'm just going to ask you to sing and play. Let everybody just bow their heads. And what I'm going to ask you to do is a couple things. One, if, if for, for you're here tonight and you don't know you belong to Christ, you come. Let's give our life to Jesus tonight, right here tonight. Maybe you have a family member or friend that's not saved. You want, I'll be happy to pray with you. You want to come at the altar and pray. Let's stand. God leads you. You come. We'll be waiting on you.